This week on the Canadian Tech Podcast, the CRTC dismisses CompuFinder's Castle Challenge. What are millimeter waves good for anyway? CSE has open-sourced a malware analysis tool, and the Ontario government wants you to help high school students figure out what to do with their lives. That's all next, and more on the Canadian Tech Podcast. The Canadian Tech Podcast is sponsored by Olio Digital Labs. Olio are the planners, designers, and developers of the apps used by some of Canada's biggest brands. Find out what Olio can do for you at oleodigitallabs.com. And we're also sponsored by CodeShip, continuous integration and delivery software that lets you ship your apps with confidence. Both CodeShip Basic and CodeShip Pro come with a free plan that grants 100 builds per month on limited projects and unlimited users. Visit CodeShip.com today to find out which CodeShip product is right for you. Welcome to the Canadian Tech Podcast, episode 137 for Sunday, October 22nd, 2017, sponsored by Olio Digital Labs and CodeShip. My name is Derek Silva. And I'm Jameson Roberts. I almost said my name is Stuart Clark, <laughs> because that's <laughs> how I hear the show start every week. <laughs> um, I expected case, him to chime in there. <laughs> yeah, in case you haven't noticed, uh, Stuart's not with us this week. Uh, he is alive and well, don't worry. Uh, but, we gave um, him the week off. But we gave him the week off. Uh, we, we said a, few, a little while ago, Jamin was sit- Jameson was going to be on more often. And that starts hopefully today, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the plan. So I'll be off next week as long as mm-hmm. nothing weird happens and uh, or nobody's sick or anything like that. And then so Jameson will be on this week, next week, and then he'll have a week off. And we're going to keep rotating like that. Two weeks on, one week off, a little bit more variety. Going to hopefully book some more guests as well. So we'll have more uh, mm-hmm. three people on each week more often and, uh, and keep things hopping here. Um, Jameson, how you been? been doing well work has been uh well this past week was quite good for work um as keeping me on my toes which is always good otherwise my kids finally healthy knock on wood (laughs) um here's hoping she stays that way and life seems to be on the on the on the repair so overall pretty good yourself uh pretty good thanks uh we'll we'll talk a little bit more about what we've been up to lately but um yeah for the most part uh Things are pretty good here in the booming metropolis of Kilworth, a.k.a. Kamoka, <laughs> Ontario, because Kilworth is never incorporated. So it's really just a, a subdivision of Kamoka, which is weird because in the next five to ten years, it's probably going to be bigger than Kamoka is itself. But that's another issue for uh, a different podcast entirely. In the meantime, <laughs> let's get uh, to the quick hits. I'll the let you s- take it away. Thank you. The CRTC has dismissed... Um, Oh, what's their name? I was reading this earlier. CompuFinder's constitutional challenge against the Castle Law, the Canadian anti-spam law. This has been going on for two years. Uh, CompuFinder was uh, fined $1.1 million back in March 2015 uh, for flagrantly flouting Castle. Apparently, you could unsubscribe and you'd keep getting emails you could call, you could remind them that you had unsubscribed, and you'd keep getting emails. And uh, the CRTC's Chief Compliance and Enforcement Officer, Enforcement Officer Manon Bombardier, uh, said that uh, enough is enough, and they have 
uh, determined that uh, um, CompuFinder's uh, rights under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms have not been violated, and therefore the Castle challenge, the the constitutional challenge against Castle, has not succeeded. Pay up. Uh, earlier this week, Microsoft unveiled the Surface Book Two, better processors, uh, Core i5 and Core i7 available, better, bigger displays. I think 13-inch and 15-inch versions. Uh, yeah, more, yeah, more RAM, better GPUs. You can get the GeForce GTX 1050 or 1060 from NVIDIA. Uh, those are both uh, virtual reality capable video cards. Um, you can get up to a 3240 by 2160 pixel resolution. It, they support e-ink, Surface Pen, the Surface Dial, of course, which is still, a, I think, a really, really cool accessory. Two full-size USB 3.1 Gen 1 ports. I don't know what USB 3.1 Gen 1 means because I didn't know that there was a Gen 2. But anyway, USB-C, 3.5mm headphone jack, two Surface Connect ports, one on the base and a full-sized card or SD card reader. They start at $1,500 US, which is uh, more or less $2,000 Canadian. Mm-hmm. Delivery is going to be... cost you about the same amount as a MacBook Pro. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, uh, delivery begins November 16th, and yeah, two grand is, is is a decent MacBook Pro. The one I'm recording this podcast on um, at the time was 2500 uh, Canadian, so yep. it, it's really close. Uh, um, given, given the specs on that, you could... You could use that as a gaming machine. You absolutely could. A GTX 10, 1060 uh, or even the 1050, regardless of being the mobile version, will definitely get you decent frame rates. Uh, it, it, Windows 10 Fall Windows 10 Fall Creators Update. There's a game mode in there that gets you faster streaming through an app called Mixer. And basically, uh, you know, most of the latest games should run at 1080p with 60 frames per second. Um at the the laptop should also match uh, consoles like the Xbox One in terms of performance as well. So for two thousand bucks, if this is what you need, especially when um, uh, you know other similar devices are well either uglier or more expensive, mm-hmm. uh, this uh, this seems to be a good trade off. Are you are you interested? I know you're a big Mac guy. Um, it's definitely caught my eye. Um. I mean, it's, it's running for a mouse. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's not a game killer for me other than, you know, my primary production. Like, I've got all my tooling geared around running off of Macs. Right. Um, I could switch over relatively painlessly. It doesn't really interest me, but um, the, the fact that it could be essentially an all-in-one machine for me where I could do work as well as um, gaming is mm-hmm. definitely appealing. Um that being said, I've got a beast of a gaming machine that, you know, I just, I replace parts here and there when I need to and right. cost me significantly less. Fair enough. Um, well, anyway, uh, the fifth generation of wireless, a.k.a. 5G, is certainly coming. Uh, we mm-hmm. have a consortium of companies, or governments rather, uh, in WRC19 that are going to be meeting in the near future to discuss 
what 5G should actually mean and what frequencies it should use and what those frequencies should be used for. In the meantime, the Innovation Science and Economic Development um, Department at the Government of Canada has launched a consulta- consultation on 5G, letting carriers and other stakeholders, um, giving them a chance to comment. Specifically, this consultation focuses on the potential release of high-frequency millimeter wave spectrum in the 28, 37, and 40 gigahertz spectrum uh, or frequency bands along with 64 all the way up to seven, oh, sorry, 28, 37 to 40, so that 3 gigahertz, and 64 to 71 gigahertz frequency bands. So those are, that the last one is especially large. The issue, of course, is that the higher you go in the frequency, the shorter the waves are. And so, generally speaking, the lower uh, uh, distance you get, but with higher throughput. But also the more possibility of it being stopped. So with millimeter, yes. millimeter wavelengths, good luck getting a signal in that elevator shift. Right. So uh, the carriers have already you know, made quite clear in the initial comments. Uh, Bell, Roger, tell us all saying, yes, please, this would be great. Um the government's proposal for this area is a flexible use licensing model, basically saying you can you can buy the licensing from us and we're not going to impose a specific use case on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently all the, uh, predictably, the, the big three uh, carriers are all in favor of that. Of course, I don't blame them. Um, no, of course not. And generally, these uh, it lo- sounds like these would be looking uh, at being used in point-to-point type solutions, the yeah. not not carrier or not tower to your phone, but potentially tower to tower, um, yeah. which makes a lot more sense, I think, because then you can actually ensure line of sight and uh, nothing in the way. Because the higher you go, the more likely it is that the signal is actually literally absorbed by gases in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, and it's you know it reduces the uh, reduces the cost burden for building a, a mesh of towers, so you can make everyone's performance better without drastically increasing your costs. So we'll correct, see. yes, yeah, cost is definitely a big one. All right, so we'll see what comes out of that. If you happen to be a stakeholder, head over to the CRTC's website and you can uh, send your comments. Uh, Docker and Kubernetes uh, have, I guess, made peace in a little bit of a, of a small battle here happening in the open source container world. Docker, of course, well known for its uh, containerization technology. Kubernetes is a container orchestration platform uh, that actually competes with Docker Swarm, its own orchestration tool. Uh, but Docker seems to have conceded the fact that Kubernetes is widely adopted. Uh, has a ton of momentum, and so they are offering native Kubernetes support for the first time, and uh, and allowing you to uh, every time you you create a Docker container, allowing you to choose at the time whether that container is going to be orchestrated, managed by Swarm, or Kubernetes. I think that's really all we have to say about that. Yeah, I, th- I don't think it was. I don't think this was by choice. I think it was mainly a case of. But yeah, sorry. A case of you cut out there. Uh, they saw the writing on the wall. Pretty much, yeah. So as we mentioned earlier, uh, Mark or Microsoft uh, has made the Windows 10 Fall Creators Update available for download. If you haven't seen the prompt yet, 
Lord knows I have multiple times. <laughs> uh, you you can go to the Microsoft site and get it installed now. Uh, there's a link in the show notes to the Mobile Syrup story and a link from there to Microsoft's website where you can get the, the update. Uh, a bunch of new features, including better support for Windows Mixed Reality headsets, of which several were really were recently announced and released, including one, one from Dell, Samsung, Acer, I think HP is in on that, and a bunch of just bug fixes, usability tweaks, that sort of thing. Uh, better support for Windows 3D, letting anyone create in 3D. Uh, the new version of Paint lets you do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and customers can now bring those 3D objects into Office files like PowerPoint presentations and Word documents. I have to say, I like the new Microsoft in embracing smaller, sort of larger updates that are more consumable and not waiting you know, two years to do a big, massive patch pack. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit. It's, it's good to see. Yeah, it, it's it's easy to get behind if you're if you're a, a business, especially a large enterprise. But uh, um, if you can keep up, yeah, you've got you've got big updates coming right now, twice a year, spring and fall. So we'll see if mm-hmm. uh, if Microsoft's able to keep that up. All right, that's the end of the quick hits, and right now we're going to talk about CodeShip. CodeShip is one of our sponsors. They produce a SaaS delivered continuous integration and delivery solution that lets you ship your apps with extreme bravado and confidence because you can choose between CodeShip Basic or CodeShip Pro. Basic is a simple testing and deployment service with pre-installed CI dependencies that works right out of the box, making the average setup time less than three minutes. Or you can try CodeShip Pro. CodeShip Pro is a fully customizable CI and delivery service with native Docker support. Uh-huh. And it is much easier to use than Jenkins. It makes it easy to test and deploy your microservices. You can push to any registry. It's also perfect if you want to deploy with Kubernetes. And it comes with a convenient local command line tool that allows you to run your builds locally helps encrypt your environment variables, and guarantees 100% parity between your development and production environments. Both CodeShip Basic and Pro come with a free plan that grants 100 builds per month, unlimited projects, and unlimited users. And of course, open source projects are awesome and therefore always free on CodeShip. So visit CodeShip.com today or check out CodeShip.com slash features to find out which CodeShip product is the best fit Love those guys. Yeah, so so you're a big fan now? Oh, I have been for a while. Um, oh, good. We use them at work, and uh, I've been using them for my personal products. So I love CodeShip. Nice. Good to hear. Good to yep. hear. All right. Uh, in the meantime, <clears throat> on, on more serious topics, I guess, I, we've yeah, discussed we'll a whole that. bunch of stuff fairly quickly. Um so our spy agency, the Communications Security Establishment, basically our version of the NSA, uh, usually we don't hear a whole ton in terms of what they're doing offensively or defensively to protect Canada's IT infrastructure. But You don't hear very much from the... Sorry, go on ahead. On that note, you don't hear very much from any of the major Five Eyes partners <laughs> on that note. True, true. We hear a lot from the uh, about the NSA because of Snowden and because, uh, or Edward Snowden, that is, and because um, uh, I think there are oversight mechanisms 
in 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 one or two ways it's it's a little bit stronger uh down south but um you know we're, we've really only been hearing about cse over the last two or three years but yeah, anyway in any major fashion right but anyway apparently they feel they need to do a better job of explaining to canadians exactly what they do and so one way they're doing that is they have open sourced a malware analysis tool called assembly line that they use to uh, uh analyze potential malware so uh now it's open source um basically you put data you give you give a data and and other things come out uh the way Matthew Braga over at CBC put it, files go in and a handful of small helper applications automatically comb through each one in search of malicious clues. On the way out, every file is given a score, which lets you, potentially the analyst, sort old familiar threats from the new and novel attacks that typically require a closer, more manual approach to analyze. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, yeah, I mean this is this is really interesting. It we happened to see uh, uh, Matthew's links over to the NSA's GitHub account, which surprisingly actually had quite a few repos in it, and the UK's GCHQ GitHub account, which actually has over thirty different projects in there or thirty different repos yep. in there. And then you got way down in the weeds oh, <laughs> in yeah. one of their tools. I had, I had fun with one of those tools, which yeah. I'm definitely gonna. Definitely going to show off to people tomorrow, which I admit uh, is is pretty cool. But I mean, this this is this is really interesting because um, there's another gentleman in here uh, who works at a Montreal company called GoSecure. Uh, they've developed their own malware research toolbox, and mm-hmm. uh, but this is something that they could use in addition to what they're doing, and certainly yeah. other um, Canadian organizations, security focused organizations like Sandvine. And um, actually, I guess there aren't a whole lot of them. But any uh, well, but Canadian, also, and because it's open source, pretty much anybody now can actually use this tool to help analyze potential malware. Well, and it you know it, it's also one of those things where it's good to see it's good to see the CSE and other organizations starting to contribute to things that will ultimately or could ultimately make their way into tools like Avast or Norton to right. help better detection of these things. Yes, Norton and all of these other, you know, antivirus and spyro programs see a lot of files on a daily basis, but they they don't necessarily have the time to do the same detail look into looking for those hallmark signs in detecting issues or potential issues. Um, the other thing I want to point out that um, is that this isn't a malware tool. It's or it's not something that you could just run on your machine to detect whether or not you've got malware. No. It's no, it's something that you would bake into the core of, you know, a Norton to analyze incoming files on your computer or Yeah, you actually got running a feed it, of malware. Yeah, if you're if you're running, say, an email exchange, you could pass every single file through and get a, a report back as to whether or not it's you know, has the potential to be um, malware malware ridden. Um, yeah. But it's still, you know, it's it's incredible to see this type of sort of research coming out of these very secret organizations um, and contributing to hopefully the global good on these things. Yeah, I mean, look, so I'm going through the Bitbucket repo right now. That's where this is hosted. And so one of the things, like one of the things they've done is actually baked in 
a lot of the malware engines from AVG, Bitdefender, F-Secure, and other companies to actually use those tools to analyze what you think might be malware. This is all written mm -hmm. in Python, by the way. And then they've got this thing in here called Crowbar, which uh, looks at different things. So first it looks at uh, JavaScript extraction from HTML, and then the Stage 2 models modules in order of execution are VBE decode, uh, looks for uh, Microsoft Word, Macro, uh, VARs, Fake array, array VARs, Simple XOR uh, function, Decodes B64, Charcode, Charcode Hex, etc. and so on, uh, PowerShell variables. So it's looking for a lot of the telltale signs of a piece of yeah. malware. And, uh, you know, if it gives you a score of like maybe a... Too. Yeah, if it gives you a score of maybe like a 4 or 5, for example... Uh, maybe that means, yes, this is malicious, but we already knew about it. On the other hand, if yep. it's like a 9 or a 10 or 11, um, then then you know, yes, it's probably malicious and it's new, right? Yeah. So uh, You need to look at this. <laughs> yes, you need to look at this. This is new. We've never seen this before. Uh, and, you know, this could be a brand new type of attack uh, and so on. So, uh, you know, A, if you're a Python dev... Uh, and B, you're interested in what the CSE is putting together over there to analyze malware, definitely check this out. There's a link to the CBC story, and in the CBC, in the uh, second section of the story, uh, a link to the actual repo. Yeah. Moving on, uh, Alphabet, which uh, is Google's parent company... Um, <laughs> they went on a spending spree this week. Well, so I need <laughs> to correct record. something. Sidewalks Labs, Sidewalk Labs, which is the actual Alphabet division that that's involved here, is not mm -hmm. belong to Google. Every okay. single story I've read this week says Google Google division Sidewalk Labs, Sidewalk Labs Google unit. No, it it's not. I know it's it probably feels like semantics, but it's not. It does not belong to Google. It used to. It belongs to Alphabet, which is also Correct. Google's parent company. It's like it's like having GE at the top, right, and having all these baby companies underneath it. It you wouldn't say. I don't know. Uh, you know, the GE profile appliances, a division of post-it notes, like it's not, <laughs> it's not the same thing. Yeah, but well, sorry, that's 3M, so that doesn't work at all. But you, you, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying. Anyway. I know what you're saying. Sidewalk Labs it's has won. Alphabet. So yes. It's a, it's a sibling company to Google. Correct. It is a sister or brother company to, to Google. They are both underneath the alphabet umbrella. They're both bets underneath alphabet. Anyway, they've spent, uh, they're spending $62 million and they were su the successful company in an RFP uh, put out by the city of Toronto to develop a new area to the east of uh, the downtown core. And it's going to be mm -hmm. called Keyside, Q-U-A-I-S-I-D-E. $62 million is the initial phase of joint planning and pilot project testing. Um, in the next year, they're going to be doing community consultations and planning, long-range planning focused on improving infrastructure and transportation systems, creating yep. new models of affordable housing and flexible retail uses, and establishing clear governance policies related to data protection and privacy. Basically, 
Smart city. Yeah, and and not quite carte blanche, but certainly a green light and a blessing and a pat on the head from the city of Toronto and the government of Ontario uh, mm-hmm. to say, you do you. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Make sure you talk to the people who live in the area or want to work in the area to make sure you do right by them. But you do you. And yep. we're on board. Let's see what happens. And you put you guys put in probably thousands and thousands of sensors and feed that into some sort of crazy algorithm and pump out all this smart aid information and and re you know dynamic rerouting and that sort of thing and apparently there's going to be crazy new um, building techniques building materials to make things cheaper and built and faster mm-hmm. and and easier to build. Um, well, and they're even they're also looking at things like um, one of the things that they're looking to looking to bake into it is that the core the core of the area would be car free. It would be built yes. around people, you know, bicycling, walking, other forms of transportation, uh, but not the car. Um, you know, they're they're basically they're they're using it as a test area to, to see this is what cities need to look like. Right. This is how people interact. This is how people interact with their with their environment. This is how we can make better cities that are more affordable, that are better for humans, that you don't need the the you know, you don't need expensive forms of communicate of transportation to get around. Right. Or these are the things that you need in a city to, you know, help diversify things and make it easier for you know, large corporations through to startups and local organizations to to live and, and breathe in. Yep. Uh, to quote the CEO of Sidewalk Labs, he's also the former deputy mayor of New York City. His name is Dan Doctoroff. Quote, this will not be a place where we deploy technology for its own sake, but rather one where we use emerging digital tools and the latest in urban design to solve big urban challenges in ways that we hope will inspire cities around the world. End quote. And it's yeah. happening two hours up the road in Toronto, in an area of, of the waterfront that I've seen before. It's uh, it's pretty flat there's and ugly right there. now. No, there's <laughs> there's not really whole nothing there. there. Um, so I, I, I'm, I want, I'm really I, interested in, in what happens here. I went through the website a little bit uh, uh, on Friday to mm-hmm. see, like, you know, what the winning bid was, was like. And I was... Pretty impressed. If if you like cities, if you want to, if you feel like you want to live in a city, I really think this is, you know, over the next probably ten years, um, this this really should lay out the model of, of uh, what a relatively dense but affordable um, to live and work uh, a city should look like. They're they're calling it a yeah. micro city, which I think is interesting kind of the type of city I want to live in. <laughs> no, to be, pro- to be, no, to be perfectly know. honest, like that's, that's exactly the, you know, I want to live in a dense place, but it doesn't, you know, but it needs to have all of these, you know, human things with it. Right. Um, and so anyways, that's a, that's a whole different discussion. Um, what I want to know is, and this is not something we'll ever have an answer to, but I want to know why Toronto was chosen. Um, you know, besides it, just from the standpoint of, um, you know, it could be something simple as the location was right. It's, you mm-hmm. know, a relatively blank slate yeah. um, to, I mean, Canada is, is America, seems to be America's testing ground for a lot of things. Um, America's London. 
<laughs> London is, you know, one of the primary areas that a lot of companies test out new things in. Um, you know, and that's a fairly well-known fact. Um, so it doesn't surprise me to see, you know, Alphabet wanting to do something like this in Toronto. But at the same time, I'm sure there were a bunch of American cities that also would love to have this there. Oh, so. no doubt. No doubt. And I think one of the other things, especially when you're looking to um, continue to evolve the way things are happening, is uh, uh, what's it? Uh, just last week, we talked about that industrial SD card, which could go down to minus 40. Same thing yeah. with sensors, right? If you're going to have sensors on the outside, you need to test it in, in an environment that has, if you want to get the testing done quick, has both extremes. Super cold. Yeah. And pretty hot. And Toronto certainly will give you both ends of that spectrum. You can have yep. days that are minus 20, minus 30, especially with the wind chill. And uh, on right along the waterfront. Exactly. They'll get covered with snow. And in the summer, 30 degrees, 35 is no problem. Humidex, 43, 45. Like it, it, it happens probably pretty often. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly Toronto, I think, will, will, Put a lot of those sensors to the test, whether they're air quality sensors, temperature sensors, um, yeah. uh, uh, traffic type sensors, whether they're people or vehicles on the road. Um, they, they'll, I think Toronto gives a lot of those those extremes that you want to test, and plenty of in between data as well. Manhattan mm -hmm. would probably a good be a good choice too, but um, it doesn't get these, the weather extremes. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, take, it doesn't get quite as cold there. Take a look at how many people complain about their iPhone not working in the Canadian winter. Clearly, they haven't tested it outside of you know California. And okay, yeah. fine. <laughs> well, but it. like, it's not just us. You got all of Northern no. Europe, pretty much all of Canada, uh, Russia, lots of plenty of places in China get quite cold in the winter. Mm -hmm. Japan, South Korea, they have winter. Like, there are lots of lots of different countries that have a proper winter. Um, yep. Not not just ours in the Nordic countries. So it, it's a good portion of the population. Yeah. Anyway. Um, well, just imagine, just before we move to the next thing, just imagine if uh, Toronto also manages to snag Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be something. We'll see that what happens. That could be happens. something. Well, bidding has closed on that, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, we should find out, oh, um, probably before the end of the year, I would imagine. I would imagine. All right. Well, in the meantime, Facebook has announced its integ election integrity plan that's supposed to help politicians and parties protect themselves from cyber hacks and the spread of misinformation during the next federal election. I don't know mm -hmm. why they're putting a focus on that when we have plenty of provincial or a big provincial election happening next year, along with a municipal election in Ontario. But, oh, well. Yeah. The initiative actually puts the onus on citizens, politicians, staffers, parties, and candidates to be prepared for online threats, and it's going to give key players access to a crisis email line linked to Facebook's security team in case their page, their Facebook page, is compromised. They also put the the Facebook Canadian Allegred, or sorry Election Integrity Initiative. Which is exactly what the what the domain is, Facebook Canadian Election Integrity Initiative dot com. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, the cyber hygiene guide actually outlines how hackers can gain control of accounts and outlines specific ways m members of parliament and political parties can guard against them. 
Uh, you mean company... I shouldn't put my password online? No, that would be a bad idea. <laughs> Facebook is also going to launch the Cyber Hygiene Training Program open to all federal political parties. And this all comes hot on the heels of uh, Facebook revealing to the U.S. Congress, I'm not sure if it was the House or the Senate or both, um, pl- a lot of data uh, that shows that uh, certainly Russian um, folks were trying to influence the U.S. election. We don't know, obviously, how, to what extent that actually worked, but I imagine it was worth at least a few points on the uh, on the popular vote. And probably a few dollars to someone. Yeah. Or someone's. So I'm not running for federal office. As far as I know, you're not either in two years. Nope. Um, but I do find it odd that this is very much a 13-page PDF that talks about, hey, here's all the things you're responsible for. Okay, that's great. But <laughs> what I want to know more is what's Facebook doing before the 2019 federal election to help yeah. reduce the potential for russians chinese zimbabweans yeah you know brazilians whoever from influencing uh you know buying ads and and potentially influencing the result of our election here they certainly don't like it when when or they don't like it when quote-unquote the west does it to them so uh, i think it's only fair that we not or that we try and prevent it from happening the other way around I would argue that it's not just um, external countries, though. Facebook needs to take a good hard look at how they deal with media and or questionable media sources and all of these issues that have come up that no one really wants to talk about or um, give hard answers on. Um, You know, a great, great way I could think of it is having a credit, you know, having to be an accredited news source and things like that. Right. You know, there's, there's whole bunches of ways to help mitigate a lot of these issues. And unfortunately, I mean, I get it. Facebook is in the money is in the business of making money. And a lot of that money is made through ads. They don't want to put, they don't want to jeopardize that. But at the same time, um, on the same, on the same page as Google, who, you know, um, owns a lot of public trust and a lot of public influence in what people see, they need to do better, not just tell people to do better themselves. Right. I think one of the big differences is that one of the things that apparently uh, Donald Trump's campaign used quite well a, a year ago was something called Facebook dark posts, which really means uh, it's a post that really doesn't exist. You, It's targeted. It's a, very very specifically to folks you think you're you know who you think are going to enjoy said post whether it's about crooked hillary or what have you and and that's it right you see that post and that post doesn't go anywhere you can't share it i don't think you can Mm -hmm. like it you can't comment on it whereas if you did the same sort of thing over on twitter it's a tweet it's a proper tweet even if you create said tweet in your campaign mode and yep. so somebody can respond to it publicly and retweet it and like it. Uh, and so the the levels of, uh, unless I'm wrong, the levels of transparency there between Facebook dark posts and Twitter promoted tweets is very different. Yes, and, and, and that's something that needs to be fixed. I would tend to agree. I don't think these dark posts is uh, are, are a good idea, but um, I don't work at Facebook. so Nope. 
All right. Uh, in the meantime, the government of Ontario, with, I know, a few other partners like Brookfield Institute, uh, has announced a six-week competition that, incur- that hopes to encourage entrepreneurs and students to develop a digital st- solution for high school students. They're hoping people will build a digital tool to help high school students uh, as they move from education to career. And during the course of that challenge, the government's providing participants with data and support as they develop user-focused strategies. Uh, this was all unveiled on Thursday night at HackerU. It's called the Student Pathways Challenge. And um, and it's one of several initiatives that the Ontario government has started um, recently in an effort to make things a little bit easier. The teams and individuals who submit their Student Pathways Challenge solution by midnight on November 30th are going to be given the opportunity to present their designs to an expert panel. Sorry, the top 10 uh, will be. And uh, that panel is going to award cash prizes of $30,000, $13,000, and $7,000 to the top three designs. And I must say, shameless plug, Cleverhosts. <laughs> Cleverhosts.ca is providing all the technical know-how for the uh, server that's actually hosting these projects. So we are, we, I am thrilled to be part of this. Uh, it's been a few weeks in the making. And, uh, and so it's super cool that, uh, that we're able to host the, uh, the projects and set up all the accounts and all that for the, um, the student pathways challenge submissions. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think of this? So I, you know, helping high school students, um, make informed education to career decisions. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in, in general, I'm, I'm a huge fan of these things. Um, especially, you know, anything that helps people try and figure out, figure out just what the heck you're going to do. Um, I haven't had a chance to unfortunately do a, a lot of reading on this one specifically. Um, and you have, you had a little bit more time since you've been, since you've been working on the, on the, the backbone of it. Yeah. Um, so basically the tool is supposed to help a high school student gain a better understanding of available career opportunities and the different pathways they can, they can take to, in order to get there. So, mm-hmm. um, the day there's, uh, where is it? The, 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 the resources, AKA the data provided, uh, there's a user insights toolkit graphic, a youth engagement tool, uh, there's a judging scorecard, of course. So, you know, yep. they've set out what they think uh, this thing should do, more or less. A um, bunch of additional resources and then some data sets. The data sets include things like earnings and wages, um, graduation, undergraduation, university qualifications awarded, college graduate enroll, uh, employment by credential type, university degree completion, um, student experience, cl- university class size uh, of students, uh, instructional faculty, student engagement, data on admissions, data on the labor market, data on employment by uh, mm-hmm. those weird business codes, the NOC. Um, yep. Apprenticeship, you know, wages, registration summaries, labor force statistics, things like that. And then, of course, applications and enrollment. So how many applications are coming in by university programs, the applications by university institution, uh, program groups, transfers, program enrollment, college enrollment, uh, all that. So I guess 
you as a developer, maybe a data scientist, if you had somebody on your team, you guys take all this information and figure out how to present it into it. a tool. Exactly. Figure out how the best way to present it to a 16 year old trying to figure out, oh my God, robots are taking all the jobs. <laughs> if I don't build an AI myself, somebody's going to turn me into one. How the hell do I, you know, make a decent go of my life over the, over the next 50 years? Um, yeah. uh, you know, assuming a universal basic income, especially does not come to fruition. And even if it mm-hmm. does, how to make a better life for yourself on top of that. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, given all of that, the one thing that's missing, you know, there, as much as no one can know the future, there are a handful of sort of three or four possible outcomes of the next five years in the technology sphere. And I think looking at what's available, that's, you know, yes, all this information is good, but it's, you know, by the time someone who's 16 gets through university, um, we see it all the time, you know, job numbers have shifted or what is applicable shifts. I mean, even take a look at the college programs at Fanshawe from the standpoint of programming. You know, the the reason why students come out of there with jobs is because they have co-ops, because mm-hmm. they are working with people on the ground, you know, and learning how the industry is changing and how, you know, learning the things that the education system can't keep up with. Right. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's why I preface this a little bit of, uh, around. I like seeing these 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 types of engagement tactics and, and working to build these tools for students. I think they often miss the mark, though, because they don't, you know, they don't, like I said, no one can predict the future, but you can take a pretty good guess at what's going to happen in the next few years. Um you know, everyone is seeing the emergence of all of these, you know, AI-based tools. And I think they're going to take a little bit longer to get out there than what some people would like and some people would hope. But they are going to have a drastic shift on what everyone's going to be able to do or what everyone, you know, what everyone's career is going to look like. Um, And so I think, you know, hopefully, you know, like you said, someone with a data science data science background on their teams will be able to bake some of that information in there. I'm just a little disappointed to not see some of that sort of future data in the actual data sets themselves. As a whole, though, I think that, yes, we need more tools like this. We need more ways to engage with students um, in a meaningful way to show them, you know, the, the dollars and cents of what it looks like to have to to figure out what you want. I mean, yeah, when you're in high school, a lot of that stuff goes over your head or you're not paying attention to it, you potentially, or a lot of, everyone has been there. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Or, yeah. you know, if you're listening to the show and you, you are in there right now, obviously chime in. Um, <clears throat> but it's one of those things where, you know, no one can predict the future. We need good ways of figuring this out this this isn't just necessarily for high school students this could be this someone could be you know pondering going back for higher education yeah i was just thinking this could be really really this could be a really good second career type thing it might need to you might need to present the data a little bit differently and you know or or if there's like a questionnaire or something like that you know run through that a little bit differently to help people Mm -hmm. figure out best next thing to do um yeah but yeah, like if something like this was part of that second career program that started back during the recession, I think that would be uh, that would be a, a really good idea. 
And I think the other thing is that we need more we need more things like this because you know if you take a look at some of the some of the big biggest issues that are coming out of um, you know engagement uh, with um, post you know with students um, or with, like with high school students or people entering the post secondary you know there's a drastic lack of information or knowledge around something as simple as basic personal finance. Or how you know we've 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 put you know the careers course in Ontario into a half credit um, or less, so with you civics, get it. Yeah, yeah. With and and it's paired with civics. So not only are you being disingenuous to students from the standpoint of their understanding of politics and how you know how much money goes to the municipal level versus the provincial level versus the federal level and how your decisions change and shape the area around you. You're then, you know, told, Oh, well, all this career information is great and you'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're, if you're a developer, you, or, you know, you're a data scientist, you want to give that, uh, that, that project a, a crack, a link in the show notes and a link to exactly where that is, but it's studentpathwayschallenge.ca. And right now, we're going to take a quick break and hear from one of our best sponsors ever, Olio Digital Labs. Everywhere we go, they're within an arm's reach. They make us more productive, help us stay connected, and even entertain us. And every day, they're helping organizations across Canada build a better tomorrow. At Olio Digital Labs, we are the planners, the designers, the builders of the custom web and mobile applications that are enabling small and medium-sized organizations across southwestern Ontario, empowering some of Canada's largest brands. Large or small, organizations across Canada count on our focused development process to produce affordable, scalable mobile applications that can help fuel their futures. So whether developing a rock-solid e-commerce platform for an ambitious small market, developing a complex system integration for a national enterprise, or helping an organization of any size navigate application design and user experience, accessibility, and security compliance, we are your complete web and mobile production team. We are the experts to plan, design, build, and maintain your project. Find out what Oleo Digital Labs can do for you by giving us a call or visiting us on the web at oleodigitallabs.com. Oleo Digital Labs, code that powers every day. And we'd like to thank Oleo Digital Labs for continuing to support the Canadian Tech Podcast. And hot on the heels of that, we go straight into a super light topic, dealing with bullying and harassment on Twitter. Something <laughs> they have failed at so far. Oops, well, okay, that? not necessarily. So I heard, I heard through somebody else, another show I listened to, that Brianna Wu, who was the subject of much ridicule and harassment during Gamergate, uh, oh. she said herself that it is actually certainly not perfect, but much, much better uh, than it was on Twitter during Gamergate and, and the the amount of abuse she was getting subjected to at the time. Um, she has said enough. quite clearly that ever since Twitter started talking a little bit more openly about, yes, there are problems. Yes, we're trying to fix them. It, I, I know it doesn't seem like much has been done. And certainly as a straight white guy, I don't get a lot of abuse uh, uh, really at all. Um, if I do, it's because I'm an elected official. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, it is much better. So that's great. However, uh, earlier this week, um, somebody uh, or a leak uh, happened with what looked like Twitter's calendar of its plan to toughen rules. And Twitter came out and went, yep, 
that's ours. Like legit. That that's what our calendar looks like. And so instead of hiding behind it, they actually decided to put it out publicly and say, "Yes, here is our our calendar of safety work happening uh right now." And you know, of course some people might might go, "Well, like why aren't you just doing this all at once?" Well, on the other hand, you know, you, nothing is built in a single day. And nope. uh, and I think a rolling approach kind of to to uh, you know rolling out specific things on specific dates lets the internal team know what to expect and when and prepare for uh, potential onslaughts of um, uh, account suspension appeals and things like that and of course uh, shows that yeah we do actually have a plan so real quick uh, for example on the twenty seventh of this month. They're going to expand the definition of non-consensual nudity. And basically, they're going to err more on the side of protecting victims. And it's going to include content where the victim may not be aware that images were ever taken. Upskirt photos, hidden webcams, things like that. If they any anybody they identify as the original poster of non-consensual nudity, they're going to be suspended immediately. Cool. If you're suspended... A better appeals process is coming that same day. So you can appeal the verdict if uh, they don't feel like they made an error. Regardless, it's going to stay, um, uh, your, your account will stay suspended. Um, abusers are going to start getting better education about rules on November 1st. On November 3rd, they're actually going to start notifying suspended users by email. That's new. The same day, mm-hmm. they're going to update Twitter rules to include a whole bunch of new things that you can't do. Violent groups are now going to have their accounts suspended um, if your account uh, is used to uh, talks about using violence to advance your cause. For instance, unwanted sexual advances, media policy updates are happening, expanded definition of spam and related behaviors, hateful imagery and hate symbols. So the media policy is going to be updated to include hateful imagery and hate symbols, things like swastikas and maybe Pepe the Frog. I don't know. It depends on maybe on how it's being used. Um, mm-hmm. On November 13th, new tech to help prioritize reports. November 14th, a new process for reviewing reports. One I really liked as, again, a straight white guy who doesn't get subjected to a lot of abuse but sees a lot of it happening is on December 14th, changes are going to roll out to, re- to to the reporting review process from people who witness rule violations. So they're going to implement account relationship signals to help take smarter, more aggressive action from witness reports. Folks like you and I, Jameson, who report mm-hmm. things that are happening even though it's not happening to us. Um, yeah. And, I'm really happy to hear that as well. Yeah. Because that's something that, like, in the past, I have reported people on Twitter and it's gone nowhere because yes, it's not happening to me. It's happening to someone else. Right. And so, you know, it, it empowers people to, as a community start to take, take care of those issues is the wrong thing, but start to just start call to, it out. Know, rem- yeah. Calling call it out, out and remove- knowing something might actually get done about it. Yeah. Right. And, and that, and like the most effective thing you can do right now, literally is just block an account. Yeah. Uh, and if Which enough people block really an account, bad. that's Twitter's best signal right now, other than the actual abusee reporting abuse. Um, 
Yeah. You know, a ton of people blocking an account is Twitter's best signal at the moment to say, oh, there might be a problem here. Whereas if there's actually like a I'm a witness report, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. Definitely. Um, so that we'll have to wait almost another two months for that. I'm okay waiting another two months for that because that's probably still in development. So anyway, yeah. suffice to say, the calendar's here. There's a link from the story to the calendar. And um, and we are hearing anecdotal reports that things are better. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, um, basically says, you know, uh, about the calendar, we believe showing our thinking and work in real time will help build trust. I would tend to agree. Um, yeah. Coming from, well, again, my need- stance, but go ahead. They need to. They need to. I think they've. They've. You know, in the court of public appeals, they've had some issues in the past, and I think mm-hmm. it's good to see them basically saying, "Yes, we recognize that there are issues. We need to solve them. Here's some of the steps we're, we want to. We're going to. You know, this is how we've identified to help start to solve the problem. This is what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Basically, right now, you can look forward to new measures every other week between now and, like, early January. And Mm -hmm. you as a developer, me also working at a a digital agency, rolling out something new every two weeks is, is, I'd say, a pretty good momentum to have. I I know we've been hearing about, we've been hearing about, you know, new measures being taken ever since the last... uh, breaths of dick costello's reign as ceo um but uh certainly since earlier this year in march uh i feel like it's it's the uh the cesspool has been cleaned up quite a bit and Mm -hmm. uh and we're gonna start seeing even more of that over the next two months so if you're one of those jerks (laughs) first of all if you're one of those jerks who's who's constantly getting suspended please stop listening to the show um second of all uh, you, man, t- you're on notice over on Twitter too. Like that, you're. It seems like your 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 days of trolling uh, heavily uh, appear to be numbered, depending on the type of trolling you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, on the complete flip side, I guess the OPP has launched a pilot project called the Safe Zone. Uh, for doing things like Kijiji transactions. Uh, basically, right now they're letting people use the parking lots at the Tecumseh and Bracebridge OPP detachments, which are on almost completely opposite sides of southwestern Ontario. Tecumseh is down near Windsor. Bracebridge is up near, um, well, that's Muskoka region. Um, But anyway, uh, yeah, if you have something you're going to sell online, maybe you're selling some tickets uh, on like StubHub and you want to hand them off in person or you're selling something on Kijiji, you want to pick it up from somebody. Selling a computer or something that needs safety yeah yeah somewhere where i think anybody who's used kijiji has had that weird moment where you're like ran, it's knocking on some random person's door and hoping for the hoping for the best that they don't have a, a hockey mask and a chainsaw on on the other side uh or an axe or anything like that um this is the, this is the opp offering their safe space to to conduct such uh such transactions in a more public manner with security cameras and obviously police officers very nearby. So if you well, live I think on... it's Go I ahead. think it's also a response to um at least the in Ontario the um the the murder that happened a few years ago um in regards to someone 
they were test driving a, uh, a truck. And oh, the, yeah, yeah. The, that so, was the Hamilton area. Yeah, so this is, this is I, I'm pretty sure, is a direct response to that. Um, well, and- I mean, so they went on an actual um, test drive, right? But if they yeah. had started in an OPP parking lot, maybe there would have been better video of uh, yeah, perpetrators. Exactly. But, I mean, ultimately, I think the two people responsible, yes, there was a trial and all that, but I'm pretty sure they were, they were both convicted. Um, so, yes. so certainly justice won out there. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, if you're not content on <laughs> on being the next... Uh, statistic uh, in that sort of way and certainly mm-hmm. you know you feel like um, you want a little extra safety especially possibly as a woman um, you know why not take advantage of this so th- yep. this is a pilot project right now um, and I'm pretty sure um, here in London the uh, London Police Service has said that you can use the um, use the the police station um, the, par- the parking lots which have camera coverage etc mm-hmm. as a you know, uh, uh, an online or, uh, you know, a place where you can conduct this transaction, these types of transactions as well. So it's not just the OPP, although it is great to see the OPP doing it in rural Ontario. Yeah. Now the OPP is not going to like sit there with you and like mediate, you know, your, your sale or your purchase. Uh, They're not going to be a witness or anything like that. However, uh, they also have, well, Canadian police also has the Canadian police information centers, online database, where you can actually search for serial numbers on products you're buying, uh, to make sure that they have not been reported stolen. So between the two, uh, I'd say you're, you're setting yourself up for success in a lot of ways. And after the pilot project, um, you can definitely call your OP, your local OPP detachment. If you live in an area where the OPP provides coverage like Middlesex center and, uh, and see if they are willing to set up a safe zone. And if they can, I don't think the parking lot in Strathroy would pose any problems with that, but, uh, you never know. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. And if you live in the Tecumseh or Bracebridge area and use this, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Twitter, Facebook, of course, and contact at Canadian tech podcast.ca. Okay, last but not least, the Human Resources Professional Association, along with Deloitte, have put together a report that looks at what developments in machine learning and artificial intelligence are doing to the job market. The report's called The Intelligence Revolution, Future-Proofing Canada's Workforce. And it says that machine learning and AI are becoming leaders in economic growth, which is causing the Canadian workforce to lose jobs as a result. And mm-hmm. uh, according to the report, policymakers and business leaders have to start discussing how to close the gaps between tech, individuals, businesses, society, and government. The report uses eight key examples to demonstrate the kind of work Canadians will do in the future and the sets of skills they will need in order to do those things. Uh, overall, the position uh, from the report is actually clear. This is going to happen. Canada can and must emerge as a winner in the intelligence revolution. That's not going to happen by accident. We have to build on the existing strengths we have. Um, We've talked a lot about those where Google, Facebook, Microsoft are either setting up shop or buying Canadian businesses that are developing strong AI products. Um, The government's invested heavily in that. Uh, Google's DeepMind uh, is setting up uh, or has set up offices in Edmonton and Montreal and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, and basically we see, you know, 
new opportunities for people, of course, and a new workforce is taking shape. Um, but on the flip side, that means a lot more what they call contingent workers. That's independent contractors, freelancers, consultants, crowdsource workers, you know, gig type jobs, Uber, yeah. Gigwalk, Lyft, etc. Um, that sharing that, sharing industries. Yeah, the sharing economy overall. Um, that that contingent workforce has grown from 4.8 million people to 6.1 million people since 1997. That's about one third of all jobs in the country. So that's not Which necessarily is huge. a good thing. That is huge, and that then that leads to a lot of uh, precariousness with your life because you're not sure where that next dollar is coming from. Yep. So I haven't read the full thing, but uh, I would tend to agree overall with with where uh, the HRPA and Deloitte are coming from here. We've talked about on the show a few times um, how you can't just take a trucker and turn them into a programmer uh, overnight, obviously, and and certainly not everybody has the aptitude for for that sort of thing. Um, mm -hmm. I haven't seen. Ah, the the eight key examples. Did did you take a look at that? I did not have time to. Um, okay. Although it was, it's interesting because as as we were before the show, this isn't the first report that's coming out. It isn't the first conversation piece that's starting to happen around it. Um, and you know, there was a piece in the Guardian that I saw earlier today about you know essentially capitalism is killing itself. Um, and so you know, these large corporations and governments have to have to start to work hand in hand to figure out what it's going to look like for, you know, that theoretically that Star Trek life where you know, <laughs> people aren't people aren't driven by people aren't working simply to get by or to produce things to make to buy other things, you know, yeah. the, 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 the uh, slow and eventual and you know, maybe I'm optimistic here, but the, you know, the idea to move towards to a, a society where your sole goal is, you know, the betterment of yourself. Um, but, you know, in the short term, there's going to be a lot of pain. Um, there's going to be right. a lot of unemployment. I mean, we've seen it in we've seen it in everything that's happened over the past 20 years with automation in the manufacturing workforces and all of these unions that have been heavily hit by plants shutting down. You know, wow. Because, I don't think the unions are doing themselves any favors there, but um... no. But you know, you these the these are manufacturing plants that are shedding jobs, that are having problems with job security because of automation, because of globalization, because of all of these things that have come forward, and you know, artificial intelligence and these and and technology that you know its primary goal is to become smarter than humans is going to change a lot of a, a lot of things that people just don't take that people take for granted yeah so i found the the new eight eight workforce archetypes they they have uh very fluffy names but uh but looking at the actual <laughs> examples of of jobs that are going to grow in prevalence i would say that you know they're on the right path things like protector so low risk of automation police officer family doctor leech or speech or language pathologist um, jobs with pre potential to grow in prevalence. Oh, I never know how to pronounce this word. Geronto uh, kinesiologist or Geronto kinesiologist, telenurse, end of life therapist. Um, second one, mm -hmm. influencer. So jobs with lower risk of automation, uh, leader in FinTech coach, politician. Yes. 
<laughs> jobs with potential to grow in prevalence, online community manager, and incubator relationship manager. So I'm not going to go through all of these, but the, uh, the other ones are uh, innovator, integrator, scorekeeper, builder, performer, curator, and curator. Uh, so... Uh, you know, if you want to be a customer service psychologist or yep. uh, a vlogger <laughs> or an urban farmer or AI developer, the future looks bright, according to Delight and the HRP, or Deloitte and the HRPA. But if you're a real estate agent, uh, an executive assistant, or uh, uh, any sort of administrative services manager or anything like that, uh, security guard you're according to these folks your 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 job is at a higher risk of automation so yep, your days could be numbered and that sounds about right given yeah starting to come out of of yeah. things you know of you know early attempts at ai or not even necessarily full ais but just the you know automation or organization of things even something as simple as um, kubernetes where it's about you know automating um something that is a repeatable task that is yes. you know something of scale that is repeatable so i would tend to agree yep okay well that's it for all the stories uh let's move on to stuff we like jameson i'm gonna let you go the first this week all righty um i uh a while back i made an order of uh, these wonderful notebooks called Code, or by the company called Code & Quill. Mm. Um, I had a few that I had to finish up working through, and I started finally using them, and they are wonderful. Uh, <laughs> the paper is glorious. Um, I, the one thing I love about it is that it's a different type. It's a different... Um, on one side is a dot grid, and on the other is a... Um, uh, lines for writing on um, the lines have indent mark- markings on them very mm-hmm. subtly in there. So if you're writing out code, you can indent things, or if you just want to, you want to write a nice paragraph, it's indented. You know, you can, you don't have to go, Oh, I think it's this many. Nope. This is how far it is. Um, you know, the, the dot grids are great for laying out, you know, designs or ideas or something that's not in a linear fashion, like a string of words. Right. Um, and it's just, it's really nice high quality um they use a chat bot for their sh- um of course they it's do. just been it's been really <laughs> of course they do of course they have a chat bot why talking, wouldn't they talking about these things um but it's uh they're they're really wonderful i highly recommend them um they don't have any place in canada right now uh that sells them physically boo. so you have to order them online boo um i did a joint order with a bunch of people at work though so it worked out that the shipping was negligible um cool. But uh, they're, so which, they're which wonderful. Which one do you have? I, you have the Origin, the Traveler, the Scribe, the Monolith. What do you got? Uh, I have, um, I have two actually. I have a Traveler, Software. and I have an Origin, and an Origin. So the two top ones here. Cool. Yeah, these look nice. I've seen them before. Uh, I haven't bought any. Uh, I'm looking at possibly getting a Rocket Wave. Uh, what's it called? The Rocket Wave or Rocket Book Wave, uh, which mm. is the one you can actually throw into the microwave and erase it. <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> so they have an app which, like, you, it'll automatically scan, and depending on on which little icon at the bottom you you color in and you set up in the app, it'll automatically sync that that page to like Box or Dropbox or Google Drive or what have you. And so you take the phone, 
it scans each each page really really quickly and uh, and automatically syncs it up and then yeah you can literally throw the notebook into the microwave run it for like two minutes ta-da it's ready to go again it's it's empty which is really cool i'm, I'm not gonna lie those are those are really cool um, uh, i was at a i was at a thing at google in august and uh it was something that was that strong that rung incredibly true was though it's like if you want to design a system forget about doing anything digitally although the scanning of it part in this case i would argue is really useful um Nothing beats pen and paper from the standpoint of planning something out. So. Yeah, I still agree, unfortunately. Cool. All right. Well, Code and Quill, a link in the show notes there to check out codeandquill.com. Uh, my thing we like this week is the uh, a new course from edX and the Linux Foundation Foundation called Blockchain for Business, an introduction to Hyperledger technologies. Hyperledger is a blockchain um is a blockchain uh, that's being developed by a bunch of companies, IBM's behind it and a few other ones. And um, basically uh, they call it a hyperledger. And um, and this course is going to be all about business blockchain, distributed ledger technologies, get you some familiarity with current hyperledger projects and co- cross-industry use cases. It'll help you learn how to do a clean install of the Hyperledger Sawtooth and Fabric Frameworks and a bunch of other things. You do need to have some basic understanding of some sort of programming language. Go, Node.js, Java, Python, pick your poison. Um, But uh, it looks really, really cool. I don't think I'm going to do the verified certificate because ultimately that won't get me really anything. But Mm -hmm. it's a free course. It's going to run eight weeks starting in two days. And, uh, oh, sorry, three days. And uh, if you're interested and you want something a little bit more guided, uh, I'd say this is it for you. So there's a link in the show notes to edX and right to the course where you can sign up or enroll. And feel free to do the free version. You don't have to pay anything. I'm not going to get any money from this. So, <laughs> But it is cool to learn. It is very cool. All right, Jameson, what have you been up to lately? Uh, besides work and work and uh, trying to get my kid healthy again, um, I've been doing uh, I've been doing getting back into the land of WordPress a little bit. I've been uh, reading through a bunch of documentation and all that fun stuff um, to start to create a. Uh, this is one of my open source projects, um, uh, and you're going to ask me about this. I know I, I sure an am. opinionated install and setup with security. Um, front-end build tools and easy integration with deployments okay so in this context i saw i I, and and when you and i were at um what was it called fireside um Mm -hmm. and we were talking out on the dock and that picturesque uh uh, time of day and and scenery you were talking Mm -hmm. about opinionated frameworks and you've got an, an opinionated install here Double rainbow time. What does it mean? What does that mean in in this context? Opinionated. Um, so it means that certain things are essentially non negotiable. Um, it is going mm. to be set up, and you work with it this way. Um, so you know, given I've got you know going on seven to ten years of experience with different things, and been doing a bunch of work at work as well as on my own time with with front end build tools and technology, as well as having done. Uh, far too many um, security overhauls and uh, setups and recoveries from hacked WordPress sites, etc. Um, I figured it's about time to take that knowledge and put it someplace. 
cool. And I figured why not make it a little bit easier for people to, to use a CI tool um, out there as well. Like CodeShip? Like CodeShip. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, uh, Wednesday I had a council meeting. Uh, we approved a new subdivision and cost-sharing agreement. And so that between the, that approval and an approval uh, and the end of an OMB hearing for a, a company called Tridon, uh, that accounts for all the land to the west and south of Glendon Drive um, that can be developed pretty much. Uh, everything further west of that is pretty much water. <laughs> and uh, and so obviously it's not going to get developed anytime soon, probably around it eventually, um, but it's mostly ponds. So yeah, over the next five or 10 years, Killworth is literally doubling in size, uh, population-wise, physically, uh, and all that. And that's all been paving the way. So we're going to, that sewage plant by me, that's going to sh- get shut down in a couple of years. New force mains being built, new pumping station, new million-dollar homes, new $200,000 homes all over the place. Nice nice little mix of, uh, of housing and uh, all to the west of here. And no more OMB hearings for the foreseeable future, which is great for everybody. Um, I started mining Zcash on Hashflare. I talked about that last week. That's been going. Uh, I also started mining Zcash on a personal machine, which is generating eight hashes per second of mining power, I think, on the ETH hash. uh, uh, What do you call that? Algorithm, I guess. Um, So that's been going well. I've got about 14 cents. (laughs) Canadian with a Zcash right now, so I'm going to be a millionaire in uh, 150 years. And um, yeah, so I got two miners going right now, which is cool. Uh, I registered for the Blockchain for Business course on edX, and I didn't write this down, but I also found uh, a bunch of um, uh, how tos uh, for Ethereum specifically. So Ethereum uh, was co-founded by a bunch of Canadians. And mm-hmm. uh, and they actually have some pretty simple, if you know what you're looking at, pretty simple uh, how-tos right on their website. There's a create a hello world contract uh, tutorial. There's a there's a how to create your own cryptocurrency uh, how-to on their or tutorial on right on their website. And then over on Medium, I found a 101 noob intro to programming smart contracts on Ethereum. So I'm not necessarily starting Derek Coin tomorrow. But uh, I am, I am looking. You know, I want to, I want to be able to read that. Yeah, I want to be able to read that and actually understand like what's involved in creating a smart contract and uh, how to go about creating your own token. Because um, uh, CryptoPay, for ex- for example, is creating their own ERC twenty token on Ethereum, and uh, you know, to a certain extent, I know what the hell that means. But uh, you know. ERC-20. What the hell is an ERC-20 token? Is there an ERC-10 token or 19 token? Like, you know, it, <laughs> it, it gets so obscure um, that I just, I want to I wanna be up on these things because I know in five years, my kid's going to be like, yo, dad, can you pay me my allowance in Bitcoin? I'm going to be like, well, yeah, I know how to do that. And then if he says, hey, why don't we create our own our own token, our own cryptocurrency just within like the Rebic Silva clan? I'm going to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa why how you know and i don't want to be that far behind him where you know he's gonna be like 13 and he's gonna be like oh i could do this 
I want to be able to say like, yeah, that's fine. I can do this too. And we'll actually do it together. So sounds like a good goal to me. <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like the future, man. Womp womp. All right. So uh, as, as usual lately, we have a bunch of other things we couldn't cover today, like Toronto's pitch to land, uh, land Amazon HQ2, S- Linux on Galaxy. What? You want to find mm-hmm. out what that is? That's in the show notes. Uh, there was Alphabet an Ethi- spending a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, Google, uh, yeah. Alphabet investing a billion dollars in Lyft, further fueling expansion rumors into Canada. I am all for that. Uber needs some competition here um uh there was just an ethereum hackathon in waterloo uh some of the top projects that came out of that were really looking really cool google has its own made for google subsite to that that lists third verified third-party accessory makers drone delivery canada is partnering up with hvac distributor wolseley which kathleen works with that's a customer of hers <laughs> so I was like, dude, they want to just deliver stuff dr- by drone from like site to site. And she's like, yeah, I heard about that. And I'm like, well, you didn't tell me. And then, uh, and apparently you can now uh, browse parts of Mars in Google Maps. So if you want all that info, you're going to have to look through the show notes here and look at all these super cool links we've included. Jameson, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to say? Or no, I think I'm good on, on my side. You're good? I think, good. I, I think I'm good. All right. Well, you know, I think we're all going to have to be promoters, innovators, and whatever else in the future. So I've downloaded the the full Deloitte and HRPA uh, report so I can read that and figure out where I should steer my children to. Uh, you mean you're not older. already a creator or an innovator? I am, but I'm not getting paid much for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I think that's it for the Canadian Tech Podcast. So for episode 137 here on October 22nd, 2017, I'm Derek Silva. I'm Jameson Roberts. Thanks for listening and have a great week.